All right, well, let's take our Bibles tonight, and um, we're going to look in the book of Micah, chapter 5, Micah, chapter 5, and uh, I gave Brother Shane the title of my message tonight, and he said, are you serious? I said, yeah. He said, it's June. I said, I know. Almost July, but it's June. He said, okay. The title of my message that I'm preaching tonight, I'm preaching on Christmas. You think I'm joking? From the book of Micah. That's exactly right. We're preaching on Christmas. In the book of Micah, look in Micah chapter 5, in verse number 1. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem. Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come into our land and when he shall tread in our palaces. Then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he cometh into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. There's a really great passage of scripture here as we're looking in Micah chapter 5 and uh, Uh, As we look in verse number one, he says, Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Now, understanding, and I think we've all kind of picked up on it as as I read through it. Verse number two, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah, right? That is dealing with what? Christmas, right? It's dealing with the birth of Jesus Christ. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, right? So who do you think this is in verse number one? He shall, he hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Who do you think this judge of Israel is in verse number one? Who do you think it is? Anybody want to take a guess? Jesus? Jesus? Interesting. Well, I hate to burst your bubble tonight because there are many that have tried to tie verses 1 and 2 together into the prophecy concerning Jesus' birth, right? And verse number 1, Jesus' trial in smiting the judge of Israel. And then in verse number 2, about the birth of the coming Messiah, right? But again, we have to be very careful about trying to tie every scripture to a prophecy when we really just need to let scripture speak for itself. Just let it speak for itself, right? First, if, they were, if we were trying to tie this to Jesus, if we were saying this is the judge of Israel, this is Jesus, then Micah kind of has it out of order. He's being smitten before he's even being born. He's being judged. He's already being crucified, but he hasn't even been born yet. So Micah kind of got it out of order, doesn't he? Because in verse number two is when he's talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. 
but he's already being smitten in verse number one? It kind of helps to be born first, right? So he's kind of got it out of order here, but notice, uh, the, the, notice secondly, we find, where do we find in Scripture that Jesus was smitten with a rod upon his cheek? Now, again, was he smitten with a rod? Yes, he was. He was smitten with a rod. Remember, the Bible tells us when they placed that crown of thorns upon his head, they took a rod and they beat it upon his head, right? Was Jesus smitten upon the cheek? Yes, he was. Remember when at, at Caiaphas' house where they brought Jesus and they put that, uh, they put that uh, hood over his head and they came up and they started smacking him and punching him and they said, if you're really the Christ, if you're really the Messiah, go ahead, prophesy and tell us, who is it that smote you? So they did smite Jesus with a rod and they did smite Jesus upon the cheek, but nowhere does the Bible ever tell us that they smote Jesus with a rod upon the cheek, right? So again, we, we want to make sure that we're staying with, with Scripture. It, it's, it's very easy many times just to look, oh, the judge of Israel. And of course, verse number two is talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. So the judge of Israel must be referring to Jesus as well. Let's, let's be careful in, in trying to spiritualize everything that is there when we don't have to spiritualize everything that is there. We don't have to spiritualize verse number two when he says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. We don't have to spiritualize. That's pretty plain, right? And we want to do the same thing with verse number one. We want to let it speak for itself, right? Let it speak for itself. So what does he mean here in verse number one? Well, again, remember, what did we just, what did, what did we just finish in chapter number four? In chapter 4, we have Babylon coming, and they're going to overthrow Israel, right? They're going to destroy Israel, okay? Uh, And that's what's going to take place. Um, And and Israel is going to be taken captive. Israel is going to be destroyed, uh, and they're going to be taken into the Babylonian captivity, right? So Micah is speaking about a siege. Again, if you're going to spiritualize part of it, you've got to spiritualize the whole thing, right? Gather thyself into troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. So this he hath laid siege against us is referring to Babylon, right? Babylon is going to lay siege against Israel. Was Jesus ever laid siege to? Jesus was never laid siege to, right? This is what he says. He shall lay siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. So what Micah is speaking about here, and and this siege and the judge of Israel, who was considered the judge of Israel? During During the time of Israel, who was considered the judge of Israel? It would have been whoever the king was. Whoever the king of Israel was, they were considered the judge of Israel, right? You think about it. Why did why did they always come to David? When he was king, because he was the judge. Why did they bring uh, things to Solomon? Because he was the judge, right? They were the, the kings were the judge of Israel. So whoever the king was would be the judge. So in this case, Micah is speaking about this siege that is going to take place and the ruler of Israel who is going to be smitten during this siege. Well, 
who is this? Again, we don't want to, we don't want to over-spiritualize. We don't want to make Scripture say something that it's not. So in this case, Micah, speaking about the Babylonian siege, he says, Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. This is Babylon. This is the Babylonian Empire, right? And the king during this time, let's turn over to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 25. In 2 Kings, chapter 25. You say, Pastor, you tricked us. I know. I did. In 2 Kings chapter 25, notice in verse number 1. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, and the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came. He and all his hosts against Jerusalem and pitched against it, and they built forts against it round about. And the city was, what's that next word? Besieged. The city was besieged. That's what he just said. Hey, hey, we're going to be besieged, right? And we're going to, they're going to be laid siege to. The city was besieged unto the 11th year of King Zedekiah. Did you catch how long this siege lasts? Two years. It starts in the ninth year of his reign, and now it's in the 11th year of his reign. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city. There was no bread for the people of the land. The city was broken up and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between two walls, which is by uh, the king's garden. Now the Chaldeans were against the city roundabout and the king went the way toward the plain. So here's these men of war. They've been, they've been laid siege to the city's been laid siege for two years. There's no food. There, there's starvation. So the men of war are leaving. They're escaping by night. They're trying to leave the city. And guess what happened? The king does it too. The king tries to escape. The king tries to leave the city. And the army of the Chaldeans pursued after the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And all his army were scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon to Riblah. And they gave judgment upon him. And watch what happens in this judgment. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. Can you imagine? Here's this king, King Zedekiah, and he has to watch as the Babylonians slay his sons in front of his eyes. Now, remember, what did Micah say? What did Jeremiah say? Jeremiah said, hey, if you will surrender and if you will just let yourself be taken captive, nobody has to die. But if you fight, you will die. What happens? Zedekiah says, hey, we're not just going to surrender. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. And what happens? Because of him choosing not to be obedient to God in surrendering to the Babylonians, but fighting now, he has to watch his own sons be put to death in front of his eyes. And that's the last thing he saw. Because after that, they put out his eyes. They blinded him so that he would never see again. This is what Micah's speaking about here, right? And Micah's talking about this siege and what's going to happen here uh, with, with the judge of Israel being smitten, the, the king of Israel, Zedekiah. And by the way, this was the last king of Israel before they go into Babylonian captivity. Do you notice in 2 Kings chapter 25, that's the end of the kings. That's it. Now they're taken into captivity. 
right? So Micah shows the captivity of Israel in verse number one, but then he proceeds with the prophecy of the future king. So here is Zedekiah, and this is how he is is taken into captivity because he would not be obedient to God. And then Micah prophesies about the future king. He says, this is what's going to happen, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, So this is what's going to happen to to Jerusalem, who is supposed to be this great city, the city of God, right? Where the temple was and uh, where people from all over the world throughout David and Solomon's reigns, people from all over the world came to see see the city of Jerusalem. And now it's rubble. He says it's all going to be rubble. But then Micah turns to the future king and says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee, Bethlehem, shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old from everlasting. So watch this. Micah prophesies several things about this king. Here in verse number two, we find several things. Notice, first of all, Micah prophesies that this king, this ruler of Israel, would be born in Bethlehem. He'd be born in Bethlehem, right? Notice, again, think about this. When we think about Bethlehem, the similarities of David David and Bethlehem. Right. Think about it. Just as David was the least of his brothers. Remember when, uh, yes, we know David is from Bethlehem, but he was the least of his brothers. Uh, Samuel comes and he looks at uh, Eliab, his oldest brother. He's like, man, this has got to be the guy. Right. This has got to be the one. God says, nope, not him. And then he goes to the second one. Oh, this must be it. Nope, not him. He goes through six and he says, God says, uh, Samuel, God does not look on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And Samuel says, is there another one? They said, well, yeah, you know, there's David, but he's out there with the sheep. He says, well, bring him in. And the one that no one expected to be king, God says, that's the one. That's the one. David was the least, right? Of all the brothers, he was the least. And just as David was the least of his brothers, so Bethlehem was considered to be insignificant, in the tribe of Israel. Think about what it says. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. There's a lot better cities out there. There's a lot better places out there. But Bethlehem, this little insignificant little town. God says that's where the king's going to come from. This is where the ruler is going to come from. It's interesting. What does Bethlehem mean? Does anybody know what Bethlehem means? Anybody know? It's not a trick question, okay? <laughs> it means house of bread. House of bread. It's interesting. Who is the bread of life? It's Jesus Christ. He's born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, right? What, what, the, what do we find about the history of Bethlehem? The history of Bethlehem is really, really interesting. Where we first begin to hear of Bethlehem is back in the book of Genesis, In the book of Genesis, we hear of Bethlehem, and something tragic happens near Bethlehem. Jacob has a wife by the name of Rachel. Rachel has had Joseph, and of course is the favorite son, but then uh, Joseph is is obviously sold, and then uh, uh, by his brothers, but uh, God blesses Rachel and Jacob with another son whose name is Benjamin. Benjamin. And... uh, what happens 
in that birth of Benjamin, Rachel dies. Guess where this, the, the city that Rachel dies near? Near Bethlehem. And it's interesting how Jeremiah prophesies about what Herod would do to the children of Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, we find that uh, after Jesus has been born in Bethlehem, and then, of course, the, the wise men or the magi come to uh, find out where the, Jesus was born, and they find out that it's in Bethlehem. We'll look at this in a moment. But then uh, after the wise men uh, kind of betray Herod in not returning and telling where Jesus was, what does Herod do? Herod sends his army to Bethlehem and he tells them that they are to kill every child from the age of two years and under. Every baby two years and under is to be killed. This was prophesied by Jeremiah. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 15, he says this, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. And this is what Jeremiah says. Interesting. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Notice that Jeremiah does not say Israel weeping for their children. It says Rachel weeping. Again, what, what name did Rachel give to Benjamin? Uh, you say, Pastor, duh. You just told us. Benjamin, duh. No, that's incorrect. If it was Benjamin, I probably wouldn't have said it that way, right? <laughs> that's not right. That's not the name that Rachel gave to him. It wasn't Benjamin. In fact, his name given by Rachel was Ben-Onai, which means son of my sorrow. Son of my sorrow. It was Jacob who changed the name to Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Now think with me about this. Isn't that amazing how those two names, Ben-Onai, son of my sorrow, and Benjamin, son of my right hand, remind us of our Lord's suffering and his glory. What does the Bible tell us in the book of Isaiah? In Isaiah chapter 53, in verse number 3, he says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We know he went to the cross, but yet we know after the cross, he ascended back into the th and was sitting at the th right hand of the throne of his father. You have the son of sorrow and the son of my right hand. We see that in Jesus Christ. Ruth and Naomi later came to Bethlehem. After they had left and Naomi had gone down to Moab with her husband and her two sons and her husband uh, dies and her two sons die and it's just her and her daughter-in-laws and she says, hey, I'm going to go back to my home country and so she's returning and of course uh, Orpah decides to stay in Moab but Ruth goes with her and they come back to Bethlehem. And of course it's there in Bethlehem where Boaz fell in love with Naomi it's there in Bethlehem where Naomi, or excuse me, um, did I say Naomi? Ruth, sorry, you, you know what I mean here, right? 
I'm not trying to change scripture here, okay? <laughs> Boaz fell in love with Ruth, okay? Um, and it's there in Bethlehem where they uh, had Obed. And then Obed had Jesse, and then Jesse had David. So we find that here in Bethlehem, this was this lineage of, of David. Naomi became, or excuse me, Ruth became the great-grandmother of David. In fact, even the Jews knew the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. If you go back to the book of John with me, in the book of John chapter 7, John chapter 7, in John chapter 7, as Jesus is uh, encouraging people to come to him in verse number 37. He says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And so Jesus is encouraging people to come to him and believe on him and trust in him. And of course, this really confused the people. Many of the people, in verse 40, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, This is the prophet. Others says, This is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? And watch verse number two. Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? That's not Jesus speaking. That's not the disciples speaking. That's the people speaking. The people understood that Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem. Why? How do you you think they knew that? They said, doesn't scripture tell us that? I wonder what scripture we find where it says that the, the Messiah, the ruler that is to come, is going to come from Bethlehem. In fact, this is the passage in Micah that the chief priests and the scribes went to when Herod want, wanted to know where the king of the Jews would be born. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, in Matthew chapter 2, In verse number one, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded them where Christ should be born. So here comes the wise men. They say, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews and it's not you, Herod. Where is he supposed to be born? Here it says, let me find out. He calls the chief priests. He calls the scribes. He calls all these people. He says, hey, where is the king of the Jews supposed to be born? Now that really ought to have told Herod something. He's supposed to be the king, and he doesn't even know where the king of the Jews is supposed to be born. So that he calls the wise men or the, the scribes, and he calls the, the chief priests, and guess what they said? And they said unto him in verse 5, In Bethlehem in Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. I wonder what prophet they're speaking of. By the prophet. And notice, it says in verse 6, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. You know where they found the answer? Micah chapter 5. Verse number two, when they began to search, they said, hey, where is this? Where is this king supposed to be born? They went to the scripture and the scripture plainly told them this king was going to be born in 
Bethlehem, which of course is why Herod then sent his army to kill all of the babies. And of course, this is what we celebrate as Christmas on December the 25th. The birth of Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem. You say, Pastor, do you really believe that uh, Jesus was born on December 25th? No, I don't know the exact date that Jesus was born. Don't know the exact date. Honestly, I don't really think it's that important. Uh, I think it's interesting, but I don't necessarily think it's that important. Let me ask you this. How many of you know when George Washington was born? Anybody know when George Washington was born? Now, we celebrate President's Day in the United States, and that's always the third Monday of February, right? But when was George Washington born? What's that? February 22nd, 1732, right? Wrong. Now, she's right, but she's wrong. You say, how is that possible? Because in our calendar today, it is February 22nd. That's when, February 22nd, 1732. That's what it says when George Washington was born. The problem is that's not actually correct. He was actually born February 11th. Because in 1850 or 1582, the Julian calendar was replaced by the Gregorian calendar. I thought this was really cool changing the formula for calculating leap years because back in 532 BC, they didn't calculate leap years right. So the primary change was to space leap years differently in order to make the average calendar year 365.2425 days long. I don't know how you get 0.2425 days long, but that's what they figured out, right? And they tried to do that so it was more closely approximate to the 365.2422 day. I'm being absolutely serious. I'm not making this up, okay? Some of you are like, you're making this up. I'm not, right? So the 365.2422 day was what was considered a solar year. That is determined by the earth's revolution around the sun. The beginning of the legal new year. Did you know that January 1st was not the new year? The beginning of the Legal New Year was changed in 1752. It was moved from January 25th, or excuse me, March 25th to January 1st. March 25th used to be the first day of the year. How many of you knew that? Wow, I feel smart. (laughs) March 21st was the first day of the year. But they moved it to, uh, to January 1st. And then in 1752 of September 1752, they decided to catch up with all these leap years that they recognized they, hadn't, they had missed. They decided to drop 11 days. No joke. 11 days just pff, gone. So you went to bed on September the 3rd, or excuse me, September 2nd in 1752, and you woke up September 14th, 1752. They just added 11 days in there. So now our calendar says that that George Washington was born on February 22nd, but when you take into consideration the 11 days they just added, he's actually born on February the 11th. 
Now let me ask you a question. Who cares? I think it's pretty cool. I had, I had no idea before I started figuring this out. I had no idea that our original new year began March 25th. Frankly, I kind of like that. I, I mean, really, I, I think about it. The year actually began in spring. What does spring indicate for us? Life. New life. Now our year starts in winter. What does winter indicate for us? Death. Let's start the year right with death. Wouldn't it be great to actually start the year with life? That's what it was. March 25th. That was the beginning of the year. Who wants to start the year off in death? What? And so again, watch this. Look how crazy this gets, right? What month of the year is September? The ninth, right? Doesn't septa mean seven? You're already starting to get ahead of me, aren't you? What is the eighth? What is octa mean? And what month is that? It's the 10th month of the year. Anybody know what Novem means? It means nine. What month is it? You know where I'm going with this, right? What does Deca mean? And what month is December? We are so stupid. <laughs> can't even get the months figured out right we got the seventh month as the ninth month or the ninth month as the i mean what in the world but all of this all this craziness happened all the way back there because like oh wait a minute we forgot some leap years and so we're gonna have to add some extra days in and we're gonna change from march 25th to january 1st it's if you actually google if you google what the names of the month mean don't do it right now okay don't do it right now you're, you'll, you'll find some very interesting ones for the first eight months, right? There's no doubt about that. Some of the months were named after different gods and things like this. But the last four simply say, September simply means the seventh month. No, it doesn't. If it means the seventh month, why isn't it the seventh month? October simply means the eighth month. November simply means the ninth month. December simply means the tenth month. We got a problem. But again, think about it. Who cares? Who really cares? Does it change anything? No, it doesn't change. Was George Washington still born? Yes. Do we still have a first day of the year? Yes. Are the months messed up? Yes. Does that change your life? No, it doesn't. Now, some of you, after tonight, your life is really going to be messed up. Because you're never going to be able to look at September, October, November, December again the same way. You're going to be like, this is so crazy. This, oh, why can't we just go back to March, right? He would be born in Bethlehem. Does it matter that it's December 25th or not? No. 
If you don't want to celebrate December 25th, that's fine. You don't have to celebrate December 25th. Well, December 25th, that's when, you know, that's a, that's a pagan holiday. You know what? If you don't want to celebrate December 25th, fine. Choose another day. Not a big deal. But here's the most important thing. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And it was prophesied by Micah hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever happened. He said, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, right? He, promised, he prophesied where he's going to be born. Notice he also prophesied that he would be ruler in Israel. Go back to Micah here. He says, from out of thee, Bethlehem, shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Now this is amazing. Micah doesn't just say he's going to be one of the chief princes of Judah. He doesn't say he's going to be one of the chief princes of of Israel. He wouldn't just be one of the kings. He would be the king. In fact, Micah says that he would be the ruler in Israel. That's the word that Micah uses, ruler. The word ruler means lord. He's going to be the ruler. He's going to be the Lord in Israel. He's going to be the one that, I mean, there is not going to be another one like him. He is the ruler. He is the Lord. And this is what Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Even Micah says, hey, there's going to be a child that is going to be born and he is going to be the ruler. The government is going to be upon his shoulders. Everything is going to rise and fall upon him. And that's why even here in Micah, In verse number five, and we're not going to be able to even to get to this tonight, but he says, and this man shall be the peace. Look, the world is searching for peace. The world is trying to find peace. They're trying to have peace treaties and all this kind of thing. There is no peace without him. None. You can have an absence of battles, an absence of war for a short period of time, but that's not peace. That's not peace. That's just a respite. Because guess what's going to happen? War is going to come back. Battles are going to come back. But it is through Jesus Christ that he offers peace because he is going to be the ruler in Israel. And I love this. Look at the end of verse number five. I was talking to a, I was talking to a man the other day who does not believe that Jesus is God. And I brought him to Micah chapter 5. And I said, sir, let me show you this. In Micah chapter 5, notice what it says about this man that is going to be born. Whose going forth have been from of old. And I said, what are those next two words? From everlasting. I said, you know what that means? He has no beginning and he has no end. You know what that means? He's God. He is God. This one that is going to be born in Bethlehem, he has no beginning. His beginning is from everlasting. When is everlasting? It's everlasting. He has no beginning. The, the, the Bible tells us in Psalms chapter 90, verse number two, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Look at what he says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. You say, well, no, he's talking about God the Father. He's not talking about God the Son. No, I beg to differ. 
He's talking about God the Son. Because notice what he says here. From ever before thou hadst formed the earth and the world. Let me ask you something. Who's the creator? Which one of the Godhead is the creator? It's Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is the creator. Colossians chapter 1 tells us the same thing. He is the creator. And God says here in his word in Psalm chapter 90, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Jesus Christ that was born in that little manger in a couple months that we're going to celebrate. And I, so, I know some of you, you're, you can't wait. I mean, you start, you start getting ready for Christmas the day after Christmas, you know, some of you, I'm telling you, you just, you just got a thing for it. All right. Just be patient. It comes around. All right. You don't have to get ready for it in July. You know, somebody was telling me that I'm already starting to unpack my Christmas stuff. I'm like, I won't tell you who it was, but he always gives me a hard time for being short. I didn't tell you who it was. Did I? I didn't say anything. <laughs> Shh, don't say his name. Hey, I think it's great. We celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Not just a normal man. Not just someone who came. We're talking about God himself. Who from everlasting, before the worlds were even created, before the worlds were even framed, he was there. And through his words, the worlds were created. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, and it happened. Jesus Christ simply spoke the words, and it came into being. That one, that one is the one that was willing to leave the splendor and glory of heaven. That one was willing to come and to be born of a virgin not in a beautiful hospital, not in a great city, but in a little insignificant town of Bethlehem. That one was willing to be raised by a carpenter. That one was willing to bear our sorrow and our grief upon himself. Why? To bring peace to you and to me because it is only through him that we can have peace. And one day, one day he's coming again. That's what we're looking forward to. Look, I understand there's a lot of things that God's still going to deal with Israel and all that. We get that. But that's not what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to one day the everlasting God who has been from of old, from everlasting, will not come and be born in a manger again. He's not going to come and be born in Bethlehem again. That's already happened. That happened one time. The next time he comes, he's going to come in the clouds and he's going to take us home to be with him. And then one day we get to come back with him and he's going to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. And guess what? We just get to be a part of it all. We just get to be a part of it all. Why? Because he says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, 
Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Herod missed it. The people knew that he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, but they didn't believe it was him. I hope tonight you know Jesus as your Savior. And if you do, what a day we have to look forward to that when Jesus Christ, the everlasting God, is one day going to return and take us to be with him. The son of sorrow, the son of my right hand, was born in Bethlehem so that you and I could one day know his love and his grace was shown and that mercy on the cross when he was willing to take our sorrow and our grief upon himself. Aren't you thankful for what Jesus did? Father, I pray that you help us tonight. Lord, Christmas is not just about one day a year. Lord, you prophesied about the birth of Jesus Christ hundreds and hundreds of years before he would be born. Lord, you sent your son, the son of your right hand, to leave the splendor and glory of heaven. You made a son of sorrow to take our sorrow, to take our grief, to take our sin upon himself. And Lord, there's nothing we can ever do to repay you for what you've done. Father, may we be thankful. May we live to serve you and to honor you with our lives because of what you have done for us. A little insignificant town, a little insignificant boy that was out watching the sheep, Lord, I'm thankful that you found a little insignificant boy and was willing to save me from my sin. Lord, I pray you'd help us to just realize how good you are to us and your love for us. Lord, not just for us, for the rest of the world. May we share that with them as well. I wonder if their heads bowed and their eyes closed tonight just for a moment. The piano's just going to play softly. Maybe tonight, maybe maybe you just need to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for will- being willing to leave. Leave heaven. Leave your throne. Come to that little insignificant town of Bethlehem. To be born. To live those 33 years on this earth to die on that old rugged cross 